0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 1. We'll be beginning at the first verse of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, w- he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. because He was before me. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known.
1: This morning, as I have been promising, we're going to begin a new series in the life of Christ. Actually, in the last couple of weeks, I've tried to lay some of the groundwork for that particular series. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk chronologically through the life of Christ. We're going to look at His life through the four Gospels. And when I say chronologically, you understand that those Gospels don't always match up necessarily in how they were written. Everything written in each individual Gospel is not necessarily written chronologically. You shouldn't make that assumption when you're reading through the Gospels that all of the events here are chronologically unless it tells you that, because in many cases it's not. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just look over the whole view of the Gospels and as much as possible, we're going to attempt to walk chronologically through the life of Christ. The only exception to that will possibly be that we may start after the birth of Christ and then come back to to that as we walk into December for a bit, but we'll walk chronologically through his life. And so I hope you'll pray that God will use this, and my prayer has been, this is what I've been laying groundwork for the last couple of weeks in, my prayer is that we will come to see the glory of God in the face of Christ more clearly. Now in my Sunday School class this morning, the question got asked that I know pops into many of your minds often at Richland especially those who may come in for the first time is we talk a lot about the glory of God and and what does it mean what what does glory mean there's nothing that i wrestle more with than to try to bring that down to a level that it affects us on an emotive level that we begin to really see what it is. Not just see it, but begin to feel it. Not theoretically know what glory is, but to begin to emotionally get words that convey that kind of aspect of the glory of God. And so I was grateful for that question this morning because I know it lays out there in many places. And when I talk about the glory of God, what I'm talking about is seeing the magnificence of God, or the truth of God, or the beauty of God? Um, that term beauty, I think, is a good word. My my only fear that we don't that we don't just limit that to a kind of feminine beauty. That's a danger with a word like that. That's a danger. Why you need more words? I'm talking about beauty. And also worth so magnificence truth beauty in the right sense of that definition worth maybe the word though it doesn't fit quite in the same categories treasure that's that's what i'm talking about when we talk about the glory of god we're we're talking about seeing something in in that way where we see the worth the beauty The magnificence, the truth, all of those words. And one of the things I threw out to my class, and I throw it out to you, and you can certainly do this a number of ways, but you can do it on the web, you can do it however you want to do it. But if you have other words, if you have other words that you think fit what we're talking about, I'd love to hear that. Other, Other words that convey what that means. Maybe we'll come up with some others as we walk along together. But the last two weeks, we've laid the the groundwork for all of this. We've defined seeing. When I say my prayers that we will see, we've defined it as spiritual sight. I talked about it again this morning as we began the service. Those disciples on that road were blinded from seeing physically, but they were blinded at another level as well, seeing spiritually. And I think when they talked about our hearts burning within us, As he opened the Scriptures, they were talking now about a new kind of sight that was opening up to them. A spiritual sight that they didn't have before or hadn't fully learned to develop in their lives. A sight that was seeing something at a spiritual level. It's the prayer I think Paul had, and we used this passage a couple of weeks ago. But he says this, and he's praying for the Ephesian believers. My prayer would be much like this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, Paul writes, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. You know, it's hard to put words around that word glory, but it's all over Scripture. It is everywhere in Scripture. One of the things I said this morning is one of the reasons I think we have trouble defining it totally is because you just can't get your head around it completely. It's about God. You can't fully get your head about all that God is when we talk about glory because that's really what He is. That's why it's difficult, I think, to some degree. But he says, the Father of glory may do something, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, he's not just talking about intellectual knowledge here because he goes on to say, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know something. You may know the hope. You see, that's, that's the kind of thing we're hoping and praying for. And, and where do we look to see it? We've talked about that as well in these weeks. Where we look to see it is in the face of Christ. The statement that's on the wall concludes with, The glory of God which is most clearly seen in the face of Christ. That comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where it says God has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing something. He's blinded them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Unbelievers today don't see spiritually. They're blinded. That's a definition of being an unbeliever. You don't see the glory of Christ. You don't see the worth and the truth and the beauty and the magnificence or whatever words you want to put there that define it. That's what an unbeliever is. But then it goes on in verse 6 of this same passage to say, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. In other words, he sees those dark hearts that don't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And he shines light into those hearts so that they might have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. Where do we most fully see the glory of God? Where do we most see His magnificence, His worth, His beauty, His truth, His treasure? We see it in the face of Christ. That's where we look. If you don't see it today, what do you do? We'll talk about that in a minute. Now you say to me, I don't see like that. I don't see like that. I don't know what you mean. I can't get my mind fully around it. I hope that you won't turn it off as we walk through this series. In fact, I hope you'll make every attempt to take everything out of your schedule that will keep you from walking through that chronological view of the life of Christ. And I, I pray that you will, you will begin to, to, to go after the answers. I, one of the refreshing things about my Sunday School class... That I teach. One of the reasons that I say to them, and I'll say it to to the whole body, if I had my choice of what to do on Sunday morning, I get to do two things. I don't have to choose. But if I had my choice, I'd just stay over there in my Sunday school room. Because what happens there often is we get questions asked that you don't get to ask here. Honest questions. Questions that cut to the heart and the chase of what you really think and feel. And so this morning, if you are saying to me, and your question would be, if you could stand up and raise your hand, and I would acknowledge you this morning to say, I don't understand what you mean by seeing. I don't know if I'm seeing that way. Don't run away. Don't run away. Keep asking the question. Keep asking the question. Keep raising the hand in your heart to God. What? does that mean? What does it mean when you say the eyes of their hearts be enlightened? What does it mean when you say the hearts within us burned? I want want to understand that. I say to you this morning, whatever age you are, don't run away from that question. Don't fail to ask that question even directly, but at least to God. Keep asking. Keep Searching, keep fighting. And what I would say to you is do this. If that's where you're at, if that's what you're wrestling with this morning, after these weeks that we've talked about this, my admonition to you is look at the face of Christ. That's what I said last week. I said, What do we do? What do we do? I'm helpless. I don't see. I'm blind. What do I do? look at the face of Christ. Look at the face of Christ. That's what the Scripture means when it says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ in Romans chapter 10. That was the text. Because we said, some of you are thinking, you're talking about seeing and hearing. I thought it was about faith. They're the same thing. The same thing. Just a different picture. If you want the kind of faith that sees Christ as truth and worth and treasure and magnificent. Look at the face of Christ. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith cometh by looking into the face of Christ. That's the means. In fact, in Romans 10 it says, how will they know if nobody tells them? We're called to go. The means by which God brings spiritual sight is through the Word. That's why we're going to walk through the Gospels. That's why we're going to walk chronologically through the life of Christ. And secondly, that's not all you want to do. You want to look at the face of Christ and then you want to pray. You just want to keep raising your hand to God. Say, God, I don't understand. God, help me see. God, help me understand however you want to verbalize it, the cry of your heart is to God. God, shine the light into my dark heart. Help me turn on the lights. Turn on the lights that I might see. That I might see. So, with all of that now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. And we're going to look at this passage. We're going to begin in John chapter 1 because it says in the beginning, and we're going chronologically, so we're going way back to the beginning. And in verse 1 it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now go down to verse 14, and it says, and the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His what? Glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see why we talk about glory? Because the Bible talks about glory. And it says that this Word came full of glory. We have seen His glory. So, this morning, let me just lay a foundation again as we launch out. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was what? With God? Okay. We understand that when you're with something. With God. But then it goes on to say, and the word was God. So, you see the correlation. The word was God. And then it says down in verse 15, and the word became flesh. So, who is the word? Who do we know became flesh? Who do we know came 2,000 years ago? All of us know that here. Christ came. He was the Word and He was God. And so the implications are that God became man. That's what it means at Christmas time. The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. We've talked about this at other times but you need to just take a moment to think about this and think hard about this. Don't wimp out when you start to think about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. We need to talk about that. I'm grateful in Dave's Sunday School class, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. That's the theme of Dave Palmer's Sunday School class. The third person of the Trinity. We're talking about the second person of the Trinity. The Word. Jesus. But the Scripture says, He was God. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... Three persons, but all possess all of the attributes of the other person. They are God. If you see Jesus, Jesus said you've seen the Father. And if you see the Father, you've seen the Holy Spirit. All of them have the same attributes. They're all fully God. It's not one third God, one third God, one third God equals one God. But it's one plus one plus one equals one. One God, three persons. If you've seen one, you've seen the other. They're the exact, exact manifestation of the other two. Now, what I want you to think hard about is this. I can't can't explain all of it. I can't give you all of the answers for this. But I can say to you, the scripture says, He was fully God, Jesus, and fully man. It wasn't that he gave up some of his godhood to be man fully or that he gave up some of his humanity to be fully God. The scripture says, and it's a mystery, he was fully God and he was fully man. Now, don't divide either one of those. Keep them together. He was fully man. But he was fully God. And the scripture says he dwelt among us. The word there is the word tabernacled. If you want to take the word, it's the word tabernacled. And what do we know in the Old Testament? After the temple was not available to the Israelite nation, they carried the tabernacle with them. They set up the tabernacle wherever they encamped. And the tabernacle represented the presence of God in their midst. And the scripture says that God tabernacled. With us. The presence of God came into our world. That's what it means. The the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the question is why? Why did God do this? Three things we want to talk about here. We won't exhaust it. In fact, we could spend the next several years talking about all of this idea, probably, of what it means for God to become man. We're not going to spend that much time there, but we are going to say three things about why. The first thing is this. The Word became flesh. The Scripture says clearly, He became flesh to bring something to us. And what He came to bring to us is what we sang about in, his full, and in verse 16. And from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. Earlier it says, He came... And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Keep those terms together, grace and truth. A couple of weeks ago, we just briefly touched on this point. But think for a minute. The scripture says he came to bring grace upon grace. He came with grace and truth out of his fullness to us. The truth of the matter is, and we talked about this again in my class this morning, he could have come as judge and executioner. The scripture could have said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son, as judge and executioner. He would not have violated who he was to have done that. Because he would have come in truth. Because all of us, deserved a judge and an executioner. All of us have sinned and fallen short of what? What is it? Finish that. All have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. You see why glory is so important to understand, even though it's hard? That's what sin is. We have fallen short. And so God could have come in just truth. And He could have come as judge and executioner. And not violated who he was. But the scripture says he didn't come just that way. He did come in truth. But he came with grace and truth. A couple of weeks ago I shared with you that this very thing. Is the thing that God began to open my eyes to. When I started to see the glory of God in the face of Christ more fully. This whole idea that. He came in tandem in grace and truth. And I believe that this is where it really comes for all of us when we really start to see. We start to see our own sin the way we ought to see our sin. And we start to see that Jesus could have come in truth and have not been unjust about it. He could have come as judge and executioner. It's what I deserved. I have profaned the glory of God more fully than I ever will know, maybe. I think when we get to heaven, we may know, but certainly this side we don't, what it means to fall short of the glory of God. It's interesting to me that That there's something innate within us in life. In fact, I use it as an illustration of the church. There are people who would like to come and worship with us here. But the thing that keeps them from coming here is because they understand God and truth to some degree. They've got part of it right and they know their sin And they think, oh, how could I come with my sin? How could I come with what I know of myself? What they know of themselves is right and good. The wrong part of it is they don't realize that Jesus came not with just truth, but he came with grace and truth in tandem. And so they're right about their sin. They're right. They see it for what it is. And it keeps them from approaching God in any way and what they think of churches approaching God. And so they stay away. They've got part of it right. They just don't have the tandem right. It's why we put this right on the front of our bulletin every week. And it's probably been there so many times that you don't even see it, many of you. But it says this, To all who are spiritually weak, spiritually weary and seek rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who are strangers and yearn for fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whomever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus came in truth? Yes. But if He had only come in truth, you wouldn't put this on the front of the bulletin. It's because He came with grace and truth. Now, it's important for us to understand what that tandem is about. It's important that you don't just say He came with grace because then you distort it as well. He came with both. One person has said, this is not wishy-washy, unprincipled, sentimental grace. This will be righteous God exalting costly grace. It will lead straight to Jesus' death on a cross. It's no light thing that He came with grace and truth. It meant that what the disciples didn't understand and what they thought had blown their world apart was really what Jesus came to do. And Jesus knew that. If He came with grace and truth, it meant a cross. Because that's the only way that the righteousness of God could be upheld and our sin could be forgiven. You see, that's the thing that early on God began to show me in my life. He began to open this up to me. He began to help me to see it in ways that it brought healing to my soul. And and that's when the glory of God began to really open up to me. My eyes began to see it. Many of you know my story, so I apologize for those that have heard it. But in the first few years of my spiritual life, I didn't get I didn't get this. I didn't have somebody stand up and tell me that he came in grace and truth. and And basically what happened to me is I got the truth part of it. I got the truth part of it, but I didn't fully get the grace part of it.' I, not that I didn't get any of it. I think my God, my eyes were opened but not fully open to see how powerful and how important it is to keep those things in tandem. What would happen in those early years of my Christian life, even as I was preparing for ministry, I had great fear that rose up in my soul. Fear that basically could be summed up, did I do it right? Did I do it right? Did I do this Christian thing right? Did I say the prayer right? Did I word it right? Was I sincere enough in what I prayed? And so for years, for years in those early college days, I would go to my pastor's office nearly weekly so that he could pat me on the back and tell me that I was sincere enough. That I was sincere enough. He was a wonderful man, a godly man. Knew much of the glory of Christ. But what he really needed to tell me was that Jesus came... In grace and truth. And you see, I got in some ways the distorted part. I got the grace part distorted. I thought grace was about if I was sincere enough that God would be gracious to me. That He was a gracious God, and as long as I was trying hard enough, He wouldn't let me down, He wouldn't abandon me. Does that make sense? And what I needed to hear was he came in grace and truth. What I needed to hear him say to me was not you're sincere enough, not you stand above the rest of the young boys here in school preparing for ministry. No, that's not what I needed him to hear, to tell me. What I needed him to tell me is how grace and truth work together. Is how he came in grace to forgive my sin so that it would not be held against me to take the weapon that Satan wanted to wield against me, that I was guilty before God out of his hand, and the way he did it is in the death of his son. The thing that assures me that that weapon will not be wielded successfully against me before God was not my sincerity. But it was in the truth. It was in the fact that Jesus came in spirit and in truth. It was in the fact that Jesus did everything that was needed to be done. You see, because the first way of doing it, I would be okay for a little bit, but eventually I'd fall back and I'd need another fix. I'd need somebody to tell me that again. What they needed to tell me, they needed to tell me is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. And the glory is that He has come in grace and truth. Yes, to be gracious, but not a wishy-washy, whimsical kind of graciousness that depends somehow on my performance, but a solid, rock-solid confidence that it depends on Christ's performance. And the truth of the matter is, when I started to get that, I had better performance. I could live better and more faithfully out of that. Jesus came in grace and in truth. The second thing is that the Word became flesh in order to die as a man. This is a powerful thing to realize. Why did Jesus come? Why did He become flesh, fully man and fully God? The reason is because it demanded, my sin, your sin demanded that a man die in my place. The problem is, None of you could die for me. I couldn't die for you. It had to be a perfect man who died. But it had to be a man. It had to be one who was fully man. Fully God, yes, but fully man. Listen. Don't don't take my word for that. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Listen to what the scripture says. Two different places. You can chew on that this week. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Listen to what it says. We'll unpack this even more next week. But in verse 14 it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through the death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. What does, what does he destroy right now? The weapon that Satan wants to wield that says, You're guilty. He destroys that weapon. It can't be used successfully. But read on. It says, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now all that are in Christ, this is my view of that, all that are in Christ are in Abraham because Christ is in Abraham. So we are the offspring of Abraham. Believers. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest.